Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Have you ever had feelings that you didn't know how to express to God or to someone else? We've got good news. There's a whole book of the Bible that gives language to the deepest, rawest feelings that we have, and it's the book of Psalms. The rest of the Bible is God's words to you. The Psalms are your words to God. We pray that this message blesses you today. And if you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. This morning, we're going to be in Psalms 103. Psalm 103. We've been studying the Psalms since the beginning of September. And uh, we've been doing that in order to improve our prayer lives because the Psalms give us language to express some of these deep things down in our souls. And Pastor Robin and I, we, there's 150 Psalms. There's no way we can cover them all in a couple of uh, months. So we, we've broken them down into four categories. And we started off the beginning of September looking at the, the, the wisdom Psalms that teach us how to live. And then we move from there looking at the psalms that talk about trusting in God. And we call those psalms that lean. And then the last three weeks, we've been looking at the, some of the, the darker psalms, the psalms that express those bad days that we have. We call those the psalms, or we don't call them, but they're called the psalms of lament. And now this morning, we are shifting gears, and it's going to be a pretty hard shift to go from lament to lift. That's our last section that's going to take us into Thanksgiving. These are the Psalms of praise. And you know, I love it that the Bible gives us both Psalms of lament and Psalms of praise, because I'm not always having a bad day. How about you? It's not every day is dark and dreary. I've got some days that I'm really feeling pretty good. You, you have days like that? And well, those, those days need to find expression in prayer, do they not? And that's what's so great about these psalms, the psalms of praise. And you'll see they are exuberant and they are just uh, upbeat and happy and uh, full of life. And so as are we at times. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103 celebrates the power of forgiveness. There are few feelings just greater than the feeling of being forgiven and being restored. We all know that, whether it's in a friendship or maybe if you're married with your spouse, you, you hit a wrinkle in the relationship. I said something stupid and that, that causes a problem. And then we have this issue for a little while and then and then we say, you know what, enough's enough. We need to bury the hatchet, right? We need to get together, maybe have a cup of coffee if it's a friend. You know, you're, you sit down, you talk it through, you work it out. There's forgiveness, there's restoration, and ah, that just feels so good, doesn't it? It's a breath of fresh air. I've seen people that are, are new in their walk with God, and they just say things like, you know, it's like a weight has come off. I see things differently now. 
That's the power of forgiveness. You experience that, it changes things. And so that's what Psalms 103 celebrates. King David, who wrote this, is feeling he's been, he's been forgiven. He's, he's experienced the compassion and the freedom of God, and he just expresses that. So we get to enjoy that too. Now, um, before we dig into Psalm 103, I want to lay an important building block down, and that's this. Jesus linked um, our experience of receiving forgiveness with our ability to give forgiveness. He connected those. That my experience of joy and freedom in relationships with other people is in direct proportion to how much I have received the forgiveness that God has for me. And it's kind of like the, the story of uh, Les Miserables. Do you know the, that musical? I love that musical. Um, the, the main character is uh, John Valjean, and he is a career criminal. He's a crook. And he um, is welcomed into this Catholic church by this kind-hearted priest. And um, he's living there for a little while, and things are good, but... He's a crook. And so pretty soon his criminal nature comes out and, and he steals a silver candlestick from the Catholic Church and he runs. And the police, of course, catch him and they bring him before the priest and everybody expects the priest to press charges against him for stealing from the church. Only the priest acts with grace. And he treats John Valjean like a friend. And he says, oh, no, he didn't steal the candlestick. In fact, my friend, you, you forgot to take your other one. And he gave him the second candlestick. And, of course, the police in that moment, it's a powerful scene. The police are surprised. They're expecting to book this guy, and now they have to let him go. But nobody's more shocked than John Valjean. In fact, his life is just wrecked in a good way as a result of that. He becomes a changed man. And he then spends the rest of his life helping others and serving others and giving to others. It's a powerful illustration of what happens in grace. He didn't change in order to get grace. He got grace, and that changed him. And that's, and that's what Jesus did. He linked this together for us, that when you receive his grace, when you receive God's forgiveness of you, it radically transforms your life, and it sets you free to be able to, to live and to relate to other people in ways that you just simply couldn't do before. And we see that illustrated for us right here in Psalms 103. We're just going to begin reading it. Psalm 103, a psalm of David, verse 1. He says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. 
He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Um, I lost my place. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. You get a totally different feeling from this psalm than we did the one last week, right? Last week, it's, God, why have you forsaken me? This week, it's, praise the Lord, everybody, praise the Lord. And you notice he begins by, by celebrating just the comprehensive goodness of God. Notice the ways, notice the word all. It's used four times in just the first three verses. He says, he says all my inmost being praise his holy name. Forget not all of his benefits. He forgives how many of your sins? All. all of your sins. He heals how many of our diseases? All of our diseases. You notice that? And he says, don't forget all of your benefits. And he actually lists five benefits of knowing God right here in these first couple of verses. Do you see the benefits? He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Five benefits he celebrates of knowing God. I, I forgive, he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies. Oh, God is good, is he not? See, God is good to me. Is he not? He is good to me. I have all of these benefits of knowing him. Following Jesus has bennies. Yes. See? Five good ones, he says. And you notice, I love verse four. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you. You know, it would be one thing, it would be a good thing if he redeemed my life from the pit. Thank you. But he doesn't just do that, does he? He redeems our life from the pit, and he crowns me with 
righteousness and compassion, with love and compassion. Isn't that something? That's grace, isn't it? Mercy is when you get is when you don't get something that you do deserve, right? I I deserve hell. I'm not getting hell. That's mercy. Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. So he gets me out of the pit. Thank you. But then he gives me, he crowns me with love and compassion. Oh, that is the grace of God right there. In verse, verse 6, he says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. There's another all. And then verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Well, how did he reveal himself to these ancient people? That's what he's saying. And then right away, he tells you, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's almost a direct quote of Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The story goes, Moses has just led the people of Israel out of Egypt. So their relationship with God is pretty new at this point. Really, they're just starting to get to know each other, as it were. And Moses cried, Moses asked God, God, I want to see you. I want to see you, God. And God says to Moses, you can't actually see me because that'll kill you. And so, but here's what we can do. And Moses, this is the Doug Rouse version of the story, okay? So then God takes Moses and he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. And then God passes by Moses, covers Moses with his hand and passes by him. And as he passes by Moses, he declares this to Moses, that he is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithful. And so this is how God has revealed himself to humanity from the beginning as a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is important for us to understand because there is a common lie that many people believe these days, and we need to clarify that, clear it up. Many people believe that God is angry and full of vengeance and violence in the Old Testament, and then somehow you come into the second half of the Bible and God softens up, and now he's a kind of a mush bucket. And God is loving today because he has always been loving. His character has never changed. God has always been a God of love. It's who he is. And from the very beginning, God has revealed himself with Moses. That's the beginning. He All the way to the back as a God who is gracious, compassionate, abounding in love. Does he get angry? Yes, but his anger is what? Slow to anger. I like how, I like how uh, Dane Ortland says it in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He, he says that we have to provoke God to anger. You don't provoke God to love. He is love. He loves. He's got to be provoked to anger. I like that. And, and here, right here in Psalms 103, his anger, he's slow to anger. And then when he does get anger, it does get angry. What does he do in verse 9? He does not always accuse. He doesn't harbor his anger forever. 
His anger is short-lived. So it's got a long fuse and a short life. But his love abounds. That's his character, right? And then, and then we come into the heart of the psalm. And David celebrates two things that God knows about us, and he loves us anyway. Aren't they great? Isn't that great? So God knows these two things about us, and he still loves you. The first thing he knows about you is this. You're a sinner. <laughs> and he has mercy for you. And the second thing he knows about you is that you're frail. And he has compassion for you. And here's what we do. Let's, let's just look at that more carefully. Look at verse 8. So he starts with the Lord's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Can we get a collective? Whew. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Right. You said it. You said it. And then he says, or repay us according to our iniquities. Huh. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So the first thing God knows is that, yes, you are a sinner, but he does not always accuse. His anger doesn't last forever. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Is that not what Jesus did on the cross? Is that not what we just celebrated this morning in communion, friends? Right? He did not treat us as our sins deserved. He paid for our sins. Wow. See? You say, well, how do I possibly understand that? You don't. That's what verse 11 says. Or ver yeah, as high as... The heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. It's a poetic way of saying, you'll never understand that kind of love. As high as the heavens are, you're not going to get that. You know, some things, maybe we should say the best things, I don't have to understand in order to enjoy. Will I ever be able to understand what would motivate God to love a sinner like me so much that he would take my place and pay the punishment that's rightfully mine? Will I ever be able to fully wrap my mind around that? No. But I can enjoy it. Can't you? I can say, thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for setting me free. That's what David is saying. Thank you. He's celebrating this. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from us. I love that word picture. He's separating you from your sin. So he's putting you over here in the east as far as we can go, and he's putting your sin over here in the West as far as it can go, and now there's this, this incalculable distance between you and your sin. It's so much so that the two of you have nothing in common anymore. You're not even associated with it anymore. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? 
that God would actually give you a new name, a new nature. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. Let's throw that as far to the east as we can. And the new has come. Let's bring it as far to the west as we can. That's what he says. Why would God do such a thing for us? Well, that's who he is. Verse 8. Go back to verse 8. It's the foundation. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is who he is. And then the second thing that God knows about you and me is he knows that we are frail and he has compassion for us. That's verses 13 through 18. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are, what are we? Dust. Dust. Yeah, it's right there in your Bibles. And the life of mortals is like what? Grass. Grass. You can say that out loud. Grass, everybody, yes. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Do you see the contrast? You and I are compared to dust, grass, a flower. These things that are small, insignificant, temporary, frail, fragile. You blow them away. And it says the word but in verse 17, key, Contrasting with God, who happens to be how? Who is he? Everlasting to everlasting. So do you see this? Here's God. He's, you go as far back as you can, everlasting, and there he is. And then you go as far forward, everlasting, as you can, and he'll be over there. And on this timeline, can you see that? That, that, that speck, like right there somewhere in the middle. You can probably barely see it, can't you? It's so small. You probably need a magnifying glass. Did you see that, that dust? You see that speck of dust right there? That, that blade of grass right there, that little flower? You see that? That's you. As temporary and as small and as frail as you are, See, and here's God, everlasting to everlasting. You see the comparison or the contrast, I should say, (laughs) between us and him? And yet it says, as a father has compassion on his children, he has compassion on us. So this everlasting to everlasting God has compassion on this speck of dust, me. Amazing. Again, what would cause him to have such a heart for one as small as me? How can one as great as him be in love with someone as small as me? Well, you go back to the foundation, to verse 8. Again, it's who he is. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding 
in love. Isn't that amazing that God loves the real you? He loves the real you, not the fake you, not the you that, that you portray to other people, not the social media you. He actually loves the dusty you, the grassy you, that flowery you, that one that's here today, gone tomorrow. God loves that you, see? Now, now there's an important word here that we need to pay attention to, and that's the word fear. Fear God. It's actually used three times. You see it in verse 11? It says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And in verse 13, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And it's also in verse 17, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. So God's love, his forgiveness, his compassion, I'll say it this way, is available to everybody. Anybody can have it. But it's only appreciated and enjoyed by those who fear him. Does this make sense? So how can I be someone who fears God? What does that mean? Because obviously I want to fear him so that I can enjoy this love, compassion, forgiveness. <laughs> Don't you? So what does this mean, you see? Well, first of all, fear is not the scary Halloween kind of fear. That's not what we're talking about. Not that kind of fear. Fear God, when the Bible says that, it means to respect Him, to give reverence to Him, to recognize He is everlasting to everlasting. I am dust. I, I need to keep that perspective in mind. That's an important perspective. Does that make sense? Perhaps this illustration might help. I like to think of it like this. The fear of the Lord is like um, you would feel if you were to walk into the control room of a nuclear power plant. Let's just say you're, going, you're visiting a nuclear power plant, and I've never done this, okay? So this is just my imagination. But you walk into a nuclear power plant, and I'm guessing there are a few doors you have to get through before you get into the control center. You've got to walk past a guard's gate. You've got to get checked. I'm sure they've got metal detectors and all that sort of thing. And then you come into the control room, and you've got buttons and levers and monitors, and there's signs that are warning you, don't do this, and caution that, and so forth. Now, how are you going to be feeling if you're in the control room of a nuclear power plant? Is that the place that you just decide to throw caution to the wind and bust out your Frisbee and say, hey, Bob, go long. Hey, I'm great dad. Like, that's, let's, let's throw some football around in the control room. Like, that's not what you're going to do in the control room of a nuclear power plant. Why? Because you have a certain fear and respect for nuclear energy. And in that, you recognize that, first of all, I don't fully understand this thing. And secondly, it determines the rules. I don't determine the rules. I can't tell nuclear energy how I'm going to relate to it. It tells me how I'm going to relate to it. 
And this, my friend, is the fear of God. I do not fully understand or comprehend this God who is from everlasting to everlasting. This God who is as high as the heavens are above the earth. I cannot comprehend him, but I do know enough to know that I need to respect him and do what he says. In other words, to fear the Lord is to be a person who has the humility to acknowledge my lack of understanding and to confess my need for him. That's the fear of the Lord. I come to him in humility. God, I'm a sinner. (laughs) I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. And you are merciful. So would you please forgive me? See, God, I'm fragile like grass. I think I'm hot stuff, but I, I know I'm not. And you are compassionate. Will you help me? See? And God does. And this is what David celebrates in Psalms 103. He, he experienced the forgiveness and the compassion of God. And then David gets moved to praise. And boy, does he praise. You see how he ends the psalm? The whole psalm ends with David joyfully telling basically everything to praise God. He, he, cry, he tells the angels, praise him. He tells the servants, the heavenly hosts, praise him. He tells all God's works, praise him. He tells his own soul, praise him. You know what's, what else is neat here is, Do you notice that in verse 20 and 21, when David tells the angels, the heavenly hosts to praise God, that he also notes that these are the ones who obey his word? And in verse 21, you his servants who do his will? That's a a contrast from you and me, isn't it? We are the ones who have sinned and need mercy. They are the ones who have never, they haven't sinned. They obey his word. They do his will. I'm the one that does not. And so here's David, the one who has failed God, the one who has sinned and experienced forgiveness, telling angels who have not sinned, hey, you guys, let's praise God. I mean, I've been set free. This is awesome. Let's all give praise to the Lord. And he's, and he's commanding, he's asking, he's inviting, if you will, all of creation, all of heaven, his own soul. Let's just get in on the action and let's celebrate the goodness and the kindness and the forgiveness and the compassion of God. See, praise, 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 praise. Say, wow, wow. It's, I, I, the picture of this is like the wave at a stadium event. You ever been to a big stadium, a football game, or something like that, a concert, and you see somebody way up in the nosebleed seats of the stadium decides they want to start the wave, and you, know, you see two friends up there, they're going, whoa, and, and nobody's doing anything. Nobody's really paying attention to them, and you can watch them, and pretty soon there's four of them going, hey, and then next thing you know, there's a whole row, and then there's a section that joins them, and then the next section joins them, and then the next section, and pretty soon, what's going on? The whole stadium, woo, the wave is going all the way around, right? What's happening? Well, you got these two or three people up there having a great old time, 
and they want to get everybody involved in the good time. And pretty soon, everybody does get involved in it. And that's what's happening in Psalms 103. David has experienced the forgiveness and the joy that comes with that. And he's just calling on all of creation, calling on everybody. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. That's how he ends, see? It's awesome. You know, this psalm reminds me of something that happened in Jesus' life. You know, it's found in Luke chapter 7, and I would encourage you to read the whole story. I, I'll just tell us the story here. But Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Jesus is at a house, and he's eating dinner. And it's the home of a very important religious person, a bigwig. And so he's having dinner with this guy. And right in the middle of the dinner, this woman busts through, and she makes a beeline and heads right to Jesus. And she's sobbing. And she falls at Jesus' feet, and her tears wet his feet. And she takes her long hair, and she mops his feet with her own hair. And she kisses his feet over and over and over again. And she has a, a jar of perfume with her. She takes this perfume, and she anoints Jesus' feet with this perfume. You can imagine that it creates quite a scene and disturbs the meal. And Jesus' host, a man named Simon, is sitting there at the table with him, and he's judging Jesus. He's thinking to himself, you know, if Jesus was a real prophet, he would know what a sinner this lady is, and he'd be shooing her away. And of course, Jesus, I love Jesus, because he's just so cool. <laughs> he, he doesn't tell Simon what a jerk he is. He just goes, hey, Simon, I want to tell you a story. How cool is that? Tell Simon a story. And the story goes like this. Here's this one person that owed a lot of money and his debt was forgiven. And then here's this other person over here, he didn't owe much money at all, and, and his debt was forgiven too. And then Jesus asks Simon this question, he goes, um, which one of them do you think is more thankful? And Simon answers correctly, well, I guess the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. Hmm, true. And then Jesus, calls out the lesson. He says, this woman right here, she's showing such extravagant love and such a bold show of gratitude because her many sins have been forgiven. And this is what he says, yeah. And this is what he says in chapter, Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He says of this woman, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. 
but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Wow. So Jesus connects the freedom that we experience in our ability to worship and just be extravagant with our praise and our thanksgiving. He, Jesus links that to our own personal experience of forgiveness. That when I've been forgiven much, my natural response is to love much. And when I've been forgiven little, you know, praise God. I sing a few songs, right? Throw a buck in the plate here and there. Like that's, that's kind of the response of someone who's been forgiven little. But someone who's been forgiven much. Yes. See? That's the power of forgiveness. You know, as I've been thinking through this this, this morning, and one of the things that has become clear to me is that I have, um, well, I have forgotten um, the forgiveness that I have experienced from God. You know, it's easy sometimes to walk with God. You know, I've been walking with God for a long time, and it's it's easy to take it for granted. Uh, it's easy to forget the pit that God saved me out of. And I'm reading Psalms 103, and I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm just reminded again of his compassion and his goodness and his forgiveness and his cleansing and how much I have benefited from that, right? And I think, wow, thank you, God, for your goodness to me. And, and, maybe, and, maybe that's, and maybe that's you this morning. I, I, my, I'm appealing to you, my older Christian friend. Can we come back to our first love? Can you, can you with me come back to and say, oh, Jesus, I'm so forever thankful that you forgave my sins and you cleansed me and you made me right with God. I'm so forever grateful. And with David, praise him. And with this woman, just pour out your love and affection on him and gratitude for his kindness to you. But maybe some of you this morning are here and you don't know the forgiveness of God. And you've walked in carrying the shame of that stuff and you think, oh boy, if somebody, if these guys knew really who I am, I don't know that they would let me sit here this morning. And we see this, I see this at church a lot. People come in and they, they, we put on our masks to pretend like we're actually better than we are because we don't want anybody to know what I'm really done, see? And, and listen, I want you to hear it today. We're all bozos on this bus. And, and, and there's, 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 no, there's no better sinner than a forgiven sinner, right? A forgiven sinner. And so, so as a forgiven sinner, 
I invite you, unforgiven sinner, to be forgiven. <laughs> Would you please today come, come into the, come into the compassionate, loving, forgiving arms of this God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, right? He wants to receive you. Oh, yes. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We pray that today's message encouraged you. And if you would like more information or just to contact us, go to our website at newriverchurch.org. 